One of the things about midlife is that sadness is an appropriate reaction because it's a grief about the passing of time. There's a famous poem that I probably quote far too often. Donald Justice wrote a poem called Men at 40, the first line of which is, Men at 40 learn to close softly doors to rooms they will not be going back to. So, so sadness and grief are perfectly appropriate. There's all these changes and transitions going on in your life right now. And it's an appropriate response. And yet, within the sadness is an opportunity. And the opportunity is what, am, what is being born with me right now? What am I becoming? But it's also, how can I be more true? more kind because you're entering the most profound period of uh, an adult life, which is second adulthood. This is when you get to be you more than you've ever been able to be before. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. We are so glad you're here. I am turning 40 this year, June 16th, next month. For years, I've heard Jerry reference the poem Men at 40 by Donald Justice, a poem that was speaking to men at midlife. And for years, that poem, though potent and poignant, always seemed like it was speaking to someone else. And suddenly, it feels more like it's speaking to me. It really has been a hell of a ride so far, one filled with incredible highs and incredible lows. Sometimes I cringe at things I said or didn't say, things or people I avoided, didn't avoid. And sometimes I marvel at my resiliency, my ability to ride out some truly incredible, hard, and challenging moments. But with the benefit of hindsight, I appreciate how all of it has shaped me. But as cliched as it may be, I do feel like there's something changing in me. Something does feel different. I've been surprised by some of the feelings that have bubbled up for me over the last year. It has been a weird and wacky year for sure, but there's been something else that's been lingering in me. There's been a sadness, even a disorienting sadness. Men at 40 learn to close softly the doors to rooms they will not be coming back to, as the poem says. And that line feels like it's resonating more than ever. I'm not just closing doors to rooms of dreams that will never be and never were. Dreams like someday being a professional baseball player, I'm actually closing doors to ways of being. Over the last few years, and especially the last six months, the things that drove me, they just seem to have run out of gas. The drive to prove that I'm enough, a drive to find my being in my doing, a drive to not be exposed as a fraud, as the fraud that I really feared that I was, those all have seemed to have faded. And the chorus of questions that really thrived early in my career, the questions like, am I enough or do I belong? Do they like me? Do I matter? They've gone quiet too. It really is disorienting. It's kind of sad. And it's hopeful. As I head into the next phase of my life, one where I'm more father than son, I'm finding new questions emerging. Questions that are a whisper now, but indeed are growing louder. Questions like, what is my life to live? Who am I becoming? What kind of man do I want to be? What kind of husband do I want to be? What kind of father do I want to be? The sadness of what is ending is meeting the energy and excitement of what and who is to come. New doors, new rooms. It feels like finally after 40 years, I'm learning to be more fully myself. Ryan Callback has had an incredible journey of his own. Being the CEO and co-founder of a company is just hard enough. But in 2016 and 2017, he faced overwhelming and seemingly impossible challenges. Challenges not only to his company's survival, Challenges not only to his family's well-being and health, but challenges to his own survival. In this conversation with Jerry, Ryan shares his powerful story and how he ultimately found the way out through letting go of the burden of needing to do it alone and in asking for help. And how in this process, he too closed doors to an old way of being and now finds himself in that disorienting but hopeful space. 
a man at midlife learning to be more fully himself. Enjoy. Think about the last time you really felt heard. I mean, really heard. Being heard is one of the most validating experiences we can have as human beings. And it's a key part of practicing empathy. Any conversation that weaves its way out from good listening will take a different path than a transactional exchange of words. Listening may be the less traveled but sure path to the impact we'd like to have in the world. It can change the way we are with ourselves and with the important others in our lives and our work. Our kids, our teams, our investors, our partners, our friends. Listening supports better decision-making, smarter problem-solving, and more innovative solution creation. In our free self-guided email course, you'll explore the ways to improve your listening practices and better put to work this powerful yet undervalued tool. Learn more and sign up for Reboot's course on listening at reboot.io slash listening reboot. That's reboot.io slash listening reboot. Hey, Ryan, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me, Jerry. Well, thanks for coming on. Can you take a minute and just introduce yourself? Sure. Ryan Kaltbeck. I'm the founder of CircleUp. CircleUp is an investment platform powered by technology. We're based in San Francisco. Right. And, but you are on the show because life has changed for you in the last, well, beginning about 18 months ago, maybe two years ago, right? And then, uh, but most recently, some new changes. So why don't you bring us up to speed? What, what am I referring to? I recently stepped down as CEO um, and moved to an executive chairman role. So I'm still here full time, but uh, obviously meaningful change in role. Um, it was several years in the making. So some background uh, for, for the audience. I started Circle Up with my co-founder Rory Aiken about nine years ago. Um, we started as a marketplace, a marketplace that brought investors and consumer product companies together. Um, that marketplace grew, raised money from some fantastic investors. Uh, we pivoted in kind of 2016, 2017, and uh, moved to the model that it is today, which is we have a, a data business and on top of the data um, platform, we have uh, some equity and credit funds that we control. That pivot uh, that I mentioned came at a, uh, a really difficult time for me, both personally and professionally. Um, I think pivoting a Series C company is difficult. We had to have layoffs. At the same time, we were raising a, a first-time fund, which for folks that have done that is is very difficult, $125 million venture fund that we controlled. Uh, and then we also raised a round for the parent company after the pivot. And at the same time, I was going through some personal challenges that were really difficult for me uh, and my family. Um, so my wife and I had uh, just really hard um, fertility issues and I was diagnosed with cancer. And the cancer, I had to have a, a pretty meaningful operation for it, um, that it ended up being fine, uh, meaning uh, I'm obviously still here. Um, I still get tested, but uh, it was a very scary and difficult time um, to go through all that at once. That led to me just really feeling exhausted, frankly. Um, and the last couple of years since then have been very much bone on bone, which led me to go to the board in uh, October of last year and say, I, I needed to step down. I needed someone else to take the reins. Um, and so that person, uh, Nick Talwar, joined a couple months ago. He's been fantastic. Uh, and then he joined as president and then moved to CEO a few weeks ago. Thank you for that. I, I know that you've written so beautifully about this experience. And, and I imagine you've shared a bit about the experience. So I appreciate your sort of, sort of taking us through it again. And it's an extraordinary uh, story. And I want to just also give a shout out. I know that you were supported in this process with a coach. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, Ed Batista. He's amazing. It's uh, frankly, I wish I had found a management coach. I wish I had found him and a uh, coach uh, earlier in the process. Cause it is just, uh, it was an absolute godsend to me. Um, and I can, I could speak for the next hour just about that um, and how important that has been for me. You know, in the, in the blog that you referenced, um, there's a, uh, uh, a picture of me signing the offer letter for the new CEO. And in the background of the picture, there's my computer and you can see on the computer, there's a yellow sticky note, which I'll hold up for you right now. Um, and on the yellow sticky note, it says, you're in the fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. That's a phrase that Ed um, told me. I played basketball earlier in life and uh, 
last year or so after we as a board agreed that I could step down, there were still points when I just couldn't figure out how to do it. I was kind of freaking out. And he just, at one point in one of our sessions together, said, Ryan, you're in the fourth quarter. You'll get through this. Just focus. And like that just was a phrase that just like, I don't know, helped me calm down a bit. Um, maybe a connection with basketball. I don't know. It just helped me. I was like, okay, I can, I can get through this quarter. So he's been, he's well, been great. You know, it, it, God bless Ed Batista. And, uh, he's a good man and he's a good coach. And when I realized that uh, you had had him on your bench, to extend the metaphor a little bit and helping, uh, it made me realize uh, why you were able to navigate such difficult times. Uh, maybe perhaps one of the reasons why you were able to navigate those times with such grace as you did. You know, I don't know how I possibly could have done it. And I don't, I don't know how that sounds to the audience, but like emotionally I couldn't focus on the most simple of tasks, let alone the complexity of what I was trying to do with this transition. The transition was very complex and he was able to just deal with both the emotional complexity and like just break it down piece by piece and allow me to like see how like the building blocks could could come together it, it was extraordinary so i'm just i've talked with a lot of ceos um over the last couple of years but especially over the last six months and each time i just like really really encourage them to find whatever the equivalent is for them you know there's there's a lot of great coaches out there and i'm fortunate to work with one of them ed who's amazing but find someone that works for you because um, it's a, an amazing investment. Tell us a little bit about what that experience was like emotionally. I mean, there, there are the complex pieces of navigating the personal challenges and the challenges with you and your wife and, and really the, the existential life threat that cancer represents. And then there's this experience around the pivot, but even more the notion of you being in a different role with Rent Card, the, uh, the company. What was that like? First of all, it was the hardest um, year, 18 months of my life by far. The emotions were incredibly strong and were emotions that were hard for others to relate to, both because I didn't have people in my life that went through similar things and because I wasn't opening up. I didn't have at that point a management coach. I didn't have at that point a CEO group. And I didn't feel comfortable talking about the fertility issues, the cancer issues, and even some of the business issues with teammates. So you kind of go down the list of like people that you would talk to in your life. Well, my wife is brilliant. She's the CMO at an incredible company called Coursera, um, but she's not CEO. She wasn't the founder. So talking with her about that is just sometimes different, right? Um, talking with friends is different. When you talk with other founders and CEOs and you say something like, hey, I'm having, we're going through a pivot, we're going through layoffs, I'm having an issue with a board member, whatever it is, like suddenly you get really like self-conscious. Am, am I the problem? Am I running a bad company? Am I a bad CEO? And that's hard to open up to them about, especially like frankly over a, you know, quick coffee, a CEO group that goes on for four hours in a given month, like where you're all expected to be vulnerable is a different situation, but that's not what I had. So I felt extremely lonely, not being able to talk with people who could relate about these things or that were trained to be able to help me with these things. I also felt dishonest and that was a, uh, a really difficult emotion for me. I wasn't lying. I want to be clear about that, but I wasn't being myself and that yeah, felt dishonest. True. Yeah. I, I felt, I felt like a fraud because, uh, you know, someone asked me how it's going and I'd say, you know, okay, it's fine. And I think, you know, people that know me knew that even during that time, I wasn't like saying we're crushing it, but I also wasn't saying, actually, I'm going through a living hell right now, Jerry. Like this is, this is the worst time of my life. And so each time I would give a, yeah, it's okay. I felt just like a, a lying. Honesty and integrity, I, I, um, it's been a, the, the word honesty, some derivative of it, um, is, is basically every password that I have. And for, since I was 19, uh, 
and, and to go through that year and a half, 18 months where I felt like I just wasn't being myself to anyone was, was really, really hard. You know, I think the, that loneliness and the feeling like I wasn't being honest, um, along with the exhaustion, I think it just led to some uh, depression, frankly. Um, and it was a, it was a really, really difficult period. So I have some theories about it, but I'm curious, what was it for you that made it difficult for you not to open up? And, and I want to acknowledge that, you know, on the other half of the story is I know that you've internalized the benefit of having opened up, but I'm, but I'm really curious. I want to, I want to go back to old Ryan, if you will. Yeah. What, what was it about the belief systems perhaps that you carried about what, what perhaps contributed to not opening up and therefore contributed to the loneliness? Sure. Um, so first in, uh, in, in Silicon Valley specifically, I think, there is very much a fake it till you make it. Everyone should say they're crushing it mentality. And that may sound like a half joke. It's not, in my opinion. Like, I can't tell you how many CEOs, I'm sure you've had the same experience, Jerry, like where I will ask how it's going. They'll tell me they're crushing it and the business closes down four months later. Right. Um, and I have always felt a pressure that unless you say, use huge words, uh, about how amazing everything is, people will immediately jump to, oh, wow, that company's not doing well at all. Um, actually, I'll give you a real example. Um, I met with a pseudo friend of mine um, for breakfast in the middle of this, who I thought was a probably better friend than uh, ended up being and was pretty transparent about some of the stuff, not the personal stuff, but some of the pro professional stuff. And he went to another person who I'm also friends with, who he didn't realize I was friends with, and they, he said, hey, like, I've heard that company's not doing well at all. I've heard they're really struggling. And Ryan's really struggling. Another guy called me said, like, this is what happened. I think uh, I was very afraid of hurting the company by being open about my own struggles, um, about being open about the pivots, the uh, layoffs, et cetera. I mean, I remember we were so afraid that TechCrunch would find out that we had done a pivot or laid off people, and then we'd have to answer them. That would hurt the company and hurt our chances of raising the next round, which we needed to do, hurt our ability to attract talent, et cetera, et cetera. And it starts a flywheel. Um, those were the stories that I told myself. In terms of why I didn't share the personal stuff, um, I worried that the team internally would use it as an excuse to throw in the towel. We're already going through a pivot. We're already laying off people. And you're telling me now the CEO has cancer. You're telling me that like he's depressed because of the fertility issues. This thing's just not going to work. Let's bail. That's what I thought. Um, and then sharing it externally circle up to people. I just worry that like beyond a very small group of friends, sharing that information would lead other people to find out about. I was just paranoid, frankly, paranoid that like, you know, Sally will tell Jane will tell John will tell someone at circle up. So, so I'm deeply familiar with the middle school atmosphere of the entire Silicon Valley and broadly defined Silicon Valley community, right? Where there is that kind of gossiping stuff that goes on. And I'm aware of the, the implications of it, but as you know, from my work, Ryan, I'm always interested in the, the ways in which we contribute to our own uh, suffering. And I want to replay for you a phrase you use, which I always find a fascinating phrase, an, an illustrative phrase, the stories I was telling myself. And what I'm curious about, and I don't know that this is true, but I'm curious about it. I'm curious to know if the propensity to create those stories, how are my teammates going to react? What are people going to think of me? Uh, when did that propensity first start begin, beginning for you? Did you do it in general or in that specific situation? In general. Oh, I don't know if I've ever not done it. Um, right. Stay right there. Yeah, I think, I think it's... Uh, I remember thoughts in fifth grade 
in sixth grade about if this happens, then that happens, then, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, oh, yeah, I can tell they'll be boring stories, but I can tell you stories about like talking with teachers about that in third grade and fourth grade. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've always done that. I don't know why, but I um, absolutely have always done that. And yeah, look, I, I probably believe that in some ways it has helped me. Um, like I don't think it's all negative and in some ways it's hurt me. How has it helped you? It is effectively trying to put yourself in other people's shoes. It's effectively trying to think about what other people thinking are thinking and feeling. And yes, that's jumping over the net. Um, mm-hmm. but it, I don't know. I probably believe it could also lead to, a, um, a higher EQ. Maybe that's wrong, but that's what I tell myself. Um, oh, empathy is a word that popped into my head. Empathy. Yeah. Um, but you also then make assumptions, right? And so the assumptions that I make are if, if I tell, uh, someone about the cancer there, I assume how they are going to react. And then I and manage that, would, that. And I manage that. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one of the things that um, I learned in, in one of the CEO groups I was a part of is I, it, it's, uh, I went to San Francisco school and at San Francisco school, they have a class called touchy feely. And in touchy feely, you learn a lot about um, uh, some things that I forgot. Uh, one of which is um, you're not making assumptions about what the other person is thinking or feeling. Uh, and I learned so much in sharing these, like just like my authentic self with that CEO group about how they actually reacted to some of the things I shared, um, as opposed to like what I thought they would say. And that was just mind blowing to me um, and really changed my approach uh, professionally. But yeah, during that time period, um, I, and for the rest of my life, would always make assumptions like, okay, if I share X, then Y will happen. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in, in my parlance, I think we do that. I, I love the fact that you saw both the positive and negative attributes of that character. Uh, trait. And it's a very, very common character trait. As, as part of our ability to be in a tribe, to be in a family, we're socialized to try to anticipate and feel what other people are going to feel and then respond to that in advance. Um, but at, like any superpower inappropriately applied, it can cause problems. And, you know, if we fast forward that through the time in which you are sitting in that seat of authority and agency known as the CEO seat and carrying a sense of responsibility for not only the investors and the participants say and circle up, but also those employees whom you have enticed to believe in your dream. All of a sudden that experience exacerbates the isolation that experience, right? Which is designed to actually create empathetic connection creates the opposite effect, right? And then leads to the, well, I actually have to participate in in the bullshitting that yeah. goes on, right? Everything's yeah. great. Everybody's crushing it. We're all doing that. And so there was this moment, it seems, where you stopped. What happened? In the blog, I talk about at the end of 2019, my then five-year-old, now six-year-old daughter um, said, why is daddy so sad? Um, And she said it uh, two or three times uh, over the course of a few weeks. Um, And I think what I'd love to say the movie version of this would be that she said it once and it just hit me like a ton of bricks, but that's not really what happened. Um, she said it once and I kind of discarded it because five-year-olds just say things. Um, it took a couple weeks of like it sunk in. And I think then because she said it again, um, was, and neither time was like in the heat of, you know, a temper tantrum. It was just like said, with, I think you could kind of tell in her face, she had been thinking about it. Um, and that was really, really hard. I don't know what I would have done had she said that back in 2016 or 2017. Um, 
because I was just so heads down trying to survive. I don't know that I would have had the emotional capability to process another thing. Um, so 2017 to 2020, my life got a lot easier, frankly. It wasn't the pivot. It wasn't the cancer. It wasn't the fertility issues. And so um, it freed up some mind space and some emotional space to be able to like process that comment, I think. Um, but that was the comment that uh, that was the straw. Um, now, the straw came after years of depression um, and loneliness and you know a lot of other difficult things. But that was the straw. Thank you for that. I have two questions. What's her first name? Kaden. Kaden. Kaden, you're very wise. And the second question is, is daddy sad? It's, it's complicated because there's the emotions right now are just moving a lot mm. in the last couple of weeks. Like, am I sad? Yes, I am. But it's a lot better than it was nine months ago. Mm -hmm. um, I get to be home with my kids every day. I am having breakfast and dinner with them every single day. Like, so am I sad? Yes, still, I'm sad, but like, wow, I feel, it has felt like I've been on vacation for a month, frankly. And by the way, I'm working full-time. I'm at Circle Up, I'm working full-time, but it's just very different. To have this out there has felt like an unbelievable relief to me, to have this blog out there, to have made this transition successfully, to have Nick in here, who's an amazing, we've hired some other amazing teammates. All those things are incredible. And yes, I am still sad. There's still stuff that's like baggage, wound so tight that it's like, it is unwinding. And that process of unwinding has felt good. And I feel lucky and I feel uh, hopeful and excited, excited about the future of Circle Up, excited about my future, excited about the changes. And I still feel sad. Um, so it's all those things. And that's why it's just like, I'm pausing because it's, it's like, it's, it's complicated with the emotions moving in opposite directions like that. Are you telling yourself any stories about those feelings? Probably some I haven't articulated yet. One of the emotions I haven't expressed yet today with you is um, I have felt a bit guilty and I don't know if ashamed is the right word, sheepish, um, because of the response to the blog. So I've gotten, you know, five, 600 emails and 90% of them have been five paragraphs long with stories from the other person about much worse situations than what I went through. You know, it is, it is brain cancer. It's losing a child. It's stage four. It's things that like make my story look like a walk in the park. And so I feel insecure about like, I don't want anyone to think like that. I think that I went through the worst thing in the world. Um, it was hard for me, but other people have had it much harder. And I think that a story that I told myself related and a story that I told myself related to that is um, and something I actually thought about before publishing it is like, you know, if this were the worst story in the world, other people couldn't relate to it. And I'm hopeful that because it's actually pretty common, other people can more easily connect to it and say, oh, I don't feel lonely because this person went through it too. Um, that's my hope. Well, at the risk of fixing a feeling, um, it seems like the evidence is that people are connecting. And, you know, as you, as you know, I've been quite open about my own experiences. And one of the things that I've experienced since my book came out is an overwhelming number of people who say, your story is my story, even though all of the facts are different. You're nodding. You relate to that. I do. And I don't know how you've dealt with that. I felt grateful that people have been willing to share their story and exhausted mm. because when I get five paragraphs of someone who is going through just the most horrible thing imaginable, you can't respond with like a thank you and an emoji, right? Like it, it's like, it's, I need to like put do the praying of, hands emoji. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I need to put something of myself in that email and 
I'm still trying to process my own stuff. And yeah. you probably have gotten, you know, two orders of magnitude more uh, inbound because of the book. And I just, every day, the last couple of weeks, and this is, it, it's calming down, but like last couple of weeks, it's every night I'm going to bed exhausted because I've just responded to however many emails like that. And it's just been hard. But I'm going to give you a little coaching in this moment. Thank you. And maybe, maybe even a little brotherly like mentoring more than even coaching and pay back the teachers who helped me. Uh, folks like Sharon Salzberg and Parker Palmer in particular helped me and have helped me, continue to help me in, in responding to um, what can feel overwhelming uh, when people, when you open up and people are opening up to you in response. And the first bit of wisdom I would share is something that yet another teacher, Natalie Goldberg, who wrote a beautiful book, uh, Writing Down the Bones, shares, which is that uh, as an author, and in this case, you're an author, we're opening the first part of the conversation. And then when, when a reader writes back to us, it's the close of the conversation. You don't necessarily have to then continue the conversation. Mm -hmm. Now, what I like about that is that it, it, it makes me laugh about that funny moment. And if you've ever traveled in Italy, you may have experienced it when Americans use Prego, right? They come in, the, they come in an elevator, somebody holds the door, you say Prego, they say Prego, and then it never stops. Prego, 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 right? It's like, thank you, no, thank you, no, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, right? And you're going back and forth. And uh, what, what's lost in that moment is the completion. And so what I offer to you, and I don't know that it's true with everybody's reached out to you, but I, what I offer to you is that you've given something and now they're giving something. Hmm. And the exchange is full, is complete. Now, so that's thing one. Thing two, and I suspect we share a little bit of this as well. So if I think back to the isolation, right? One of the things that can enhance the sense of isolation, one of the things that can hold us back from opening up and sharing and being true with our colleagues is that very thing that you learned in business school but forgot, which is not only that you're making assumptions about other people's in internal landscape, but that you're responsible for it. Mm -hmm. Okay? And just because you're CEO doesn't mean you're responsible for the internal landscape. You're responsible for the container that allows them to do great work, but they are responsible to do the great work, right? And so if you think about it, you open up this dialogue and one of the things that can start to get triggered is I am responsible to make it better. Yeah. And you're not. Yeah. That's such an interesting, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, that's a really helpful and interesting framework. Thank you. Thank you for sharing it. The, you're welcome. The, the, I too, I adore responding to the notes. I adore responding, but I do it out of love, not out of obligation. And that's the thing to just bring your attention internally. What's motivating me? What's going on here? And give yourself the time and space and imagine that you're participating in a dialogue. That it's not, uh, and the dialogue is always ongoing. You know, I often will exhort people who hold authority and agency to go first. If we want to create a world in which people are allowed to be true to one another, then those who have the most power have to go first. And in that instance, you have power, mm -hmm. you have privilege, uh, you have the capacity, you've raised money, you have, you have resources. And so you went first, beautiful. Just hold that mindset. Um, 
And at the same time, understand that, as Sharon Salzberg taught me, all beings own their own karma. Their happiness or unhappiness depend upon their actions, not my wishes. And so we can stay in empathetic connection without getting enmeshed in responsibility. Mm -hmm. I really like that. Thank you. That's really well, helpful. I'm curious as we start to close out this conversation and how are you doing now? There are a lot of mixed emotions, mostly relief. More positive than negative, more positive than I felt in years. Um, so I'll go through some of them. I feel relieved. I feel happy. I feel excited personally and professionally. Uh, I feel worried, scared, uh, insecure, frustrated. Um, so those are some of them. Um, and still sad, you know, professionally at work, I feel, um, excited about where we are, excited about what we're building, excited about my new role. I feel worried though, about my ability to execute on my new role. It is hard to like be here and not, it, it kind of feels sometimes like I'm the coach who is no longer the coach, but still hanging around at practice. Like, should I give thoughts to the new coach or should, should I step, step back? And that's just been a weird role that I've been working through. Um, and Nick's been awesome about what we, we talk every week about that. I feel uh, frustrated about some of the interpretations of um, what I wrote. So I'll give you an example. My last call was with an investor in us who is really scared that I'm about to leave. I said, well, I, I'm not gonna leave. I've told you that, I put that in the, I'm not leaving now. I don't know, I have no plans to leave, no, nothing on the horizon, um, but people interpret it. Um, I am worried about like, I don't know, I don't have a lot of models for this role and I'm, I'm not really sure what it should look like. I'm also excited to be able to spend more time with family. Um, and I feel uh, really fortunate to do that. And frankly, a bit guilty about how like lucky that is in these times when so many other people are struggling. I'm huge amount of privilege to be able to, to do that. Um, and I'm conscious of it. And that makes me frankly, not want to share these things publicly. I had someone tell me a few years ago, um, uh, you know, Ryan, you should not talk on Twitter about mental health. Uh, white men should not talk about mental health, like, because you're privileged. And that was really hard for me, um, frankly. I, I know I'm privileged, but, like, it doesn't change that I have and have had mental health issues. Um, and so I feel frustrated about that and unsure of how to, like, handle that. Um so those are some of the things going on for me. I see you doing the best you can. I am. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, just, I'm trying, um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying hard. Uh, and sometimes my attempts, um, are well received and sometimes they're not, you know, um, this investor did not like what I wrote, frankly. Uh, and I knew that was a risk. Um, I thought there were two risks in writing this thing. One is that no one would care. And then the other risk was that investors either in us today or future investors would really hate it. Um, because I just don't think, I don't think doubt is well-respected in VC. You know, a lot of VCs make money by convincing or by backing founders who believe this, um, that you need to give up everything in order to build a company. And if you read the post closely, I actually wasn't saying that that's wrong. It just, I was more saying that the way I did it wasn't healthy for me. Um, and so I've learned a lot from that on, on how to be healthier in this journey. Um, 
But I think you could, with a cursory reading, look at it as, oh, Ryan gave up, Ryan's a quitter, or Ryan's going to leave soon, or things like that. You told the story about that investor, what I heard in that story, and again, I, I don't know the full situation, so I'm making it up, but what I heard was that they had a fear. Yeah. Yeah. You know, oftentimes when we open ourselves up and we put ourselves out there, what we do is we trigger fear, right? And the fear is actually very, very old. And it's, I'm going to hold everything together because if I don't, then the whole house of cards is going to fall apart. And what you have experienced is the reality of even when the house of cards fall apart, it's actually relieving. I might go a step farther than that. So you just hit it directly. It's absolutely what I believed. I needed to hold everything together. If anyone found out about my cancer while we were going through the pivot, everything would unravel. People would start leaving. If people start leaving, that means we can't perform. If we can't perform, we can't raise a round. If we can't raise a round, the company's dead. Thus, no one can find out about the cancer. No one can find out about my fertility issues or my depression, et cetera. Absolutely. I was keeping it all together. I would go a step farther though than, than what you just said in terms of my own learning, which was, I actually think having shared that would have brought us closer. It would have like solidified the foundation of this house because um, I mean, I talk about like this, this trust equation uh, in the blog, I, I don't, I didn't invent it as you know, but you know, reliability times credibility times authenticity or vulnerability divided by self-interest and the authenticity or vulnerability component is something that like, I think most many leaders um, miss. And that was an opportunity for me to share an authentic, vulnerable thing. I think if you asked many of my teammates at that point, um, what their biggest criticism would have been of me, it was like, I just, I don't know the real Ryan. Like I would, I would roll into work and I was, you know, personable and and I think good at my job and effective with other people, but I never shared anything about my home life. The only thing people would know is on Fridays, I would wear a different shirt because it was date night with my wife. That was what they knew about Ryan. And I think that led people to feel less close to me, less of that bond that I just talked about. Like, so sharing it, I think would have not only it would have solidified the house it would have built more trust with each other um and yeah it would have scared some people some people would have bailed but you know what those people were going to bail anyway like they weren't they weren't in this um and i missed that opportunity and you've grown i think so yeah i mean it's easier said than done so let's see you know next time i hit something like that how i share it with others real time you know, I, I, I'm sharing it three years later. It's a lot easier, right? Our company is in a much better position now. And um, there's a lot of ways this makes it safe. Well, my last question is, uh, you've referenced the fact that you're sad now. It's a broad question. Um, so answer as safely and as comfortably as you feel right now. What do you think is contributing to the sadness? Um, I still feel lonely. Um, I, and that's a, it's a combination of a few things. Um, I think the CEO job is, is frankly just, I don't know, this probably isn't very inspiring for other people to hear me say it, but like, I, I worry it is a lonely job. I worry there's not a lot of people who can relate to it. Um, I feel lonely because I've had a bunch of my closest friends move away from here over the last year and a half. That's been hard. Um, feel lonely because we got three young kids at home. And so that kind of changes your ability to connect with friends. Um, I, I think that's probably one of the biggest drivers. The other driver, when I was in, when I was in high school, I, uh, in, you know, the yearbook, 
uh, you put in a quote and the quote that I chose to put in was, um, never be satisfied or you'll stop improving. It was a coach from a, a football coach who I don't even know, um, who said it. And, um, I think that that quote when I was 17 is pretty representative of the next 20 years of my life, which is like, even the best things that would happen to us, I don't internalize. I don't do a good job of internalizing wins personally or professionally. And that's not healthy. Um, so part of the sadness is like, when someone else says, congratulations on circle up, congratulations on this new achievement of circle, congratulations on the nothing doesn't don't not only do I not feel it, I often feel upset that I have to now put on an act for you to pretend like feeling good about what you just said. Um, I don't feel it at all. Um, and it doesn't matter. Uh, by the way, like objectively, I know that there's a bunch of things. I know intellectually there's a bunch of things that I should be really happy about. There's amazing things to circle up and it doesn't, I, I struggle to like absorb that. Um, so part of the sadness I think comes from that. And I, I am working to try and retrain my brain to absorb some of those things. Let me just slip back into your older brother mode because I'm a little bit further down the path than you. And one of the things about midlife, oh, did I just say that word out loud? <laughs> uh, one of the things about midlife is that sadness is an appropriate reaction because it's a grief about the passing of time. There's a famous poem that I probably quote far too often, uh, Donald Justice wrote a poem called Men at 40, the first line of which is, men at 40 learn to close softly doors to rooms they will not be going back to. So, so, so sadness and grief are perfectly appropriate. There's all these changes and transitions going on in your life right now. And it's an appropriate response. And one of the things that we, as men, struggle with is being socialized to understand what to do with difficult emotions like sadness. We often turn both sadness and fear into aggression. Right? Um, and yet, within the sadness is an opportunity. And the opportunity is what, am, what is being born with me right now? What am I becoming? Because these last three, four years have been a process of saying goodbye to a bunch of things for you. But perhaps the most profound of which was saying goodbye to a way of being. And like a, like a newborn fawn, the legs, the wobbly legs, the legs are still wobbly right now. I, I'm not sure what, how I am to be. And, and that's appropriate as well. Mm -hmm. And so what's in front of you isn't just, hey, let me figure out what it means to be an executive chair, because that's a very different role than the CEO. And it's a very different role than a traditional board member. But it's also, how can I be more true, mm -hmm. more kind? Because you're entering the most profound period of a, an adult life, which is second adulthood. This is when you get to be you more than you've ever been able to be before. Thank you. I, uh, I don't remember the last podcast or interview I did where I took a lot of notes. Um, and I've taken a lot of notes. So thank you. Um, I'm going to look up that poem. Uh, I'm going to, I'm really excited about that. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. And thank you for the, for your bravery and for your, for the work that you've done. It's so evident the work you've done on yourself. And, you know, again, as a brother, there's a lot, there's another line from another poem from John O'Donoghue. 
Uh, and the poem that I'm thinking of is uh, Blessing for One Who is Exhausted. And what he says is, may you be excessively gentle with yourself. May you, Ryan, be excessively gentle with yourself. Thank you. You're welcome. Prego. <laughs> Prego. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode, go to reboot.io slash podcasts to listen to all five seasons of our podcast conversations. And leave us a review on iTunes. That's the best way for other people to find and enjoy the show just as you have done. And don't forget to join our mailing list at reboot.io slash sign up so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. Working in VC is hard at any time, but doing this job over the last year has brought with it unique challenges. 2020 changed the world, and that change brings an opportunity for us to grow as humans, specifically as investors. The last year has shown us that perhaps the most important skills we can develop are our resilience and our adaptability. So whatever your experience has been over the last year and whether you find yourself feeling challenged or energized in this moment, we hope you'll join us and other folks in the VC community this June 4th for a reflective half-day event featuring guided journaling, peer coaching, and a robust opportunity to not only refresh and refine your approach to the work, but to enhance your resilience and your adaptability. To learn more, apply, or submit for a scholarship, head to reboot.io slash minicamp. That's reboot.io slash minicamp.